that's sad and lonely And all I gotta do is act naturally Well, I'll bet you I'm gonna be a big star Might win an Oscar, you can't Hello, welcome to Meet Me at the Movies. Nolte Manning II here with my friend from Canada, Craig Markshan, back for us, back with us once again to talk movies. Good to see you, man. Good to see you as well. How are you? Pretty well, pretty well, man. Uh, and, and so before we get started, where can people find you online? Because I don't, I, and where could they find you in Canada? I guess those are two, two good questions to, to that- talk about. Those are great questions. Well, uh, you can find me on all the social medias at EM6211. And then uh, review-wise, uh, I host a show called Cinema Scene on Rogers TV. So you can go to rogerstv.com slash cinema scene and check out those reviews. And then I also co-host a uh, podcast called the Untitled Movie Podcast, which you can check out on the untitledmoviepodcast.com. So, so was that a mistake when you were just saving a folder and it just said untitled and you're like, Hey, that sounds like a pretty cool movie podcast as well. You know what? It was actually <laughs> my co-host, uh, Matt Rohrbeck, who thought about this from a marketing strategy point of view that untitled comes up before a lot of other searches. So that was kind of his, you know, strategy when it came to coming up with that title. Very cool. Like the old uh, phone book method where you were like triple A because you would be at the top of the list. Very good. Very smart there. Well, Eric, we we are uh, talking films of 1991 for today's show. And uh, for those of uh, you who have never tuned in before, we do talk movies right here on Meet Me at the Movies. It's kind of in the title. Uh, And we talk about all aspects of cinema and, and we blur the lines on some shows as well when we talk about uh, episodic television and streaming because uh, cinema is, is far beyond what it was back in 1991. <laughs> we, we are really uh, exploring so much more now, but for this show, uh, we are going to be focusing on the films of 1991. Uh, and thanks for joining us, whether that's through C19 TV or through WGWG, however you decide to do it. And, and these are not necessarily what, what I'm not saying these are the best films of the year, but they're just films that speak to us in one way or another. And that's kind of what we're laying out there. So Eric, I'm going to let you dive in first. Yeah. I I think that's a really important distinction to make uh, in, in covering, you know, film and television in this day and age because you know the debate and I'm sure you've talked about this a lot on your show you know the c- the other c word not cinema but content and sort of what that means but going back to 1991 there was a separation of those two things of of cinema and television um Thinking about the year 1991, you know, you, you mentioned off the top that they're not necessarily, you know, the best films, quote unquote. It's sort of movies that have either had a major effect on us personally or sort of just in general. And the film that I was thinking of, of talking about first, because it's had an impact over the last 30 years and specifically on a franchise that's revving up with its ninth installment, Fast 9, Fast and Furious 9. But that series owes a huge debt to Catherine Bigelow's Point Break uh, from 1991. There's a ton of machismo. Uh, it's a lot of fun as like a undercover surfer movie. The casting of Gary Busey uh, is perfect because not only is he a great sort of, you know, second hand with Keanu Reeves' Johnny Utah, but it's also an homage to The Big Wednesday, the John Milius film as well and it's just a fun 
action movie that's also this weird kind of meditation within the genre of, you know, the action thriller. And Catherine Bigelow, you know, who's coming off of Near Dark, did the same thing with that film and sort of playing with the horror Western genre. And she does it again here. And I think this is the one role that Patrick Swayze had in his career that you can tell he's not only having a ball, but he didn't get offered very much to kind of play kind of the villain, but in a very charismatic way. And he doesn't come into the film until around 25 minutes and he steals the whole thing. Yeah, such a, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Big Wednesday because I uh, am a big surfing fan and grew up on East Coast of North Carolina and got to spend some time surfing. And so any film that had any kind of surfing connection always would speak to me in one way or another. And, and Point Break had it all. I mean, from, from skydiving to surfing to uh, a, a few fights along the way and, and uh, a few other things uh, that, that you find in action films. And you're right, it really did speak to what the Fast and Furious franchise has become. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's amazing that that franchise is sort of morphed into kind of a high series more than a car, sh you know, film. But but at the same time, you can look at Point Break and see sort of the formula of that movie being applied to the first film and how they've kind of expanded since then. But it's I think it's important to look back, you know, 30 years ago and say, like, OK, well, this is the film that kind of did that first. Yeah, great, great choice. Great choice. Uh, and uh, one, one that speaks to me was released in September uh, of 1991. I've always been a fan uh, of Robin Williams and uh, and I also love Jeff Bridges uh, in roles. And when I think about the two of them uh, together and the chemistry that they formed in the Fisher King, uh, Terry Gillum's film that, that had some connections to the Holy Grail. And when we know that Terry Gillum has had connections to that previously, but, but done in a way that, that addresses um, mental instability, it addresses life choices, it, it addresses choices in uh, the things that we say and the impact that our words can have uh, on those listening. All of that uh, tied up into this film that's a drama. It's got some organic comedy in it. It's got a little bit of fantasy. Uh, the Fisher King is just on my list, and it's one that I go back to uh, on occasion. And uh, Robin Williams, uh, I, I've loved him in everything or every type of film and every type of role that he can do. And, and here, uh, he plays someone that's just a bit uh, unstable, but there are times you get this glimpse of just pure perfection and genius, uh, not just from his acting, but also in the role that he's performed. So the Fisher King uh, on my list of one that I will definitely uh, and do go back to for 1991. Yeah, and Jeff Bridges, I think, is 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 a great sort of companion on this journey that Robin Williams' character has in that movie. And I mean, obviously, you mentioning, you know, Terry Gilliam being part of the Monty Python crew and sort of taking some of those kind of whimsical medieval aspects and applying them into the real world, but integrating them in a way that we haven't seen them before, I think really works to who Robin Williams is playing in the film. And, uh, you know, again, you know, Jeff Bridges kind of playing a version of Howard Stern is, is fascinating. And Mercedes Rule uh, won the yes. Oscar for Supporting Actress that year, too. Yeah, and, and we can't forget Amanda Plummer uh, and, and her uh, supporting uh, role as well. Yeah, just a great film and uh, one that I think gets lost uh, a lot of times when people are thinking about 91 because there were so many huge blockbusters. And this one, not so much, but definitely one to go back to. All right, what else Absolutely. have you got on your list, Eric? 
Well, I might as well just jump from one blockbuster to another. And also because, you know, Catherine Bigelow is the director of Point Break, but an executive producer on that film was James Cameron, who directed probably one of the biggest action adventure movies of the 90s and one of the greatest sequels of all time, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, which is just a nonstop action thrill ride that not only you know, builds upon the mythology that Cameron created with the first film, which was supposed to just technically be a calling card movie for both Cameron and producer Gail Ann Hurd, but became so much more. And you look at the progression of Linda Hamilton's uh, Sarah Connor character, and you look at the idea that, you know, Cameron is able to make sequels, whether it be, you know, also writing and directing Aliens and sort of approaching that in a similar fashion with Ellen Ripley. He knows sort of the mechanics of how to make sort of an enticing action-based thriller with incredible set pieces, but also, you know, fun one-liners that really work in this milieu. I mean, he's been criticized before for having sort of cheesy dialogue uh, in his films, but I think it works perfectly in something like this. And even though, you know, a lot of people are skeptical on, you know, Avatar 2 through 5, I think you have to give the guy the benefit of the doubt when it comes to sequels, because I mean, he, you know, co-wrote uh, Rambo 2, Aliens and Terminator 2. And if anybody can make a sequel that surpasses the first film, I think it's him. Yeah, I, and Terminator 2, without a doubt, is one that you have to mention. Uh, and in the summer of 1991, I was working with 20th Century, Century Fox on Last of the Mohicans. And so every weekend we, we would work, uh, you know, straight through five days a week, 12 to 16 hour days. And then on weekends we had off. And so on weekends I would go from a movie set to watching movies every single weekend. And uh, Terminator 2, when it came out, uh, I had to go see it, of course, because it was Arnold and Cameron, but also the special effects explosive artist for Terminator 2 was also working on Mohicans. Uh, as were many of the stunt doubles, including Arnold's stunt double, uh, Billy Lucas was on Mohicans as well. So I, I had that very special connection to having to check out Terminator 2 uh, Judgment Day uh, multiple times. <laughs> what, what, what was that like for you to see it in the theater for the first time with all of that information and background and having worked on The Last of the Mohicans as well? I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, it, it really did make it real. Uh, and uh, anytime anyone gets a chance to go on to a movie set and see these things happen, you have a deeper appreciation for, for film and for cinema. Uh, it, it's, it's much different than watching a director's commentary or much different than watching it behind the scenes when you're actually there behind the scenes when it happens. You really do uh, understand every aspect of what it takes to make these things happen and I, I my son and i my son has tried to get me my son thomas has tried to get me to do a uh, production assistant commentary for mohicans and i may do that at some time and, and if we have a show about 1992 we'll definitely talk about that but uh yeah the background of knowing these stunt people knowing these special effects artists um the, knowing the folks who are making these films happen as i'm watching them in the theaters it, it really does make it a bit more real so absolutely. But yeah, great film. Uh, can't not talk about, about that film. So Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Uh, and one on my list uh, comes from August 23rd. We're, we're looking at some summer films, and you can't help but look at summer films when you're uh, looking at 91. But this is late summer. Uh, this is one, uh, one of the first experiences I had 
to uh, really get a chance to appreciate Kenneth Branagh and, and what he was capable of, uh, along with, uh, with his partner, Emma Thompson. Uh, the film is called Dead Again. It was released in August of 91. And it was one of those films that was so different and uh, I love these uh, these thrillers. I love neo uh, um, neo uh, noir thrillers, and this has that. But it's also got romance, and it's got flashing back to the past, and you're not really sure what's real and what's dreamt. Uh, it, it, it's just a very different kind of film. Uh, the the score got a Golden Globe a nomination for best original score. Uh, Andy Garcia also uh, stars in this. Uh, yeah, just a film uh, about about the past and how the past may be connected through some unusual means and uh, and crimes of the past as well. So that again is one of those I, I go back to uh, occasionally uh, and, and truly uh, loved it. And I think it's one that more people need to watch. Yeah, and it's it's definitely underrated in terms of you know the the work that Sir Kenneth Branagh has done. It's it's one of the few non Shakespeare adaptations that he's made, or at least when he was sort of making those Shakespeare adaptations in the late eighties into the nineties. And yeah, to do to sort of like the gothic romance of it all, and sort of you know dealing with you know reincarnation and past lives. I think it's one of those really under the radar kind of movies that gets forgotten about and it, and it works as well as a horror movie at times and and i think that it is chilling but also just completely captivating to watch that's a really good pick yeah and uh, i mentioned the score patrick doyle uh, did the score for that who's who's worked with kenneth Branagh previously and uh, has continued to do so but he's got a lot of other uh, films uh, under his belt including some harry potter films and planet of the apes and of course murder on the orient express with uh, Kenneth Branagh. Uh, we are uh, right here on Meet Me at the Movies. Uh, Eric March and Noel Manning here talking uh, films of 1991. And we will not get to everybody's picks. We know that. Uh, but we are going to take a, a quick uh, intermission, come back, and we will cover some more. And so uh, any of those that we happen to miss that you think we should have mentioned, write down this email address, info at c19.tv, info at c19.tv. And uh, we will, uh, well, you know, we'll see what we can do. Uh, maybe if we do a sequel down the road, like James Cameron, uh, hang around. We've got a quick intermission. We'll be right back with more on Meet Me at the Movies. They're going to put me in the movies. They're going to make the big star. I would tell anybody that's interested in getting broadcasting that, um, this is a really exciting field to be in. The possibilities are endless. And every day is different. Um, there's always something new. Um, you're always on your toes. It's, I think the good thing about you know a school like Cleveland Community College is they're really good at keeping up with the latest technologies. My experience um, with the broadcasting program has been everything and more. I've hosted a television show here. I've done radio shows. I've, I've made my own commercials, all kinds of exciting things, digital animation. And I've never thought I'd have a career in news that I enjoy. It's just really exciting to you know, have a career where you're in control of what two million people in the area are watching every night. It's really exciting and enriching and fulfilling work. It doesn't feel like a job. I mean, I get to hang around all day and make television. I mean, just listen to that. Now the question is, are you ready to start your journey today? Hi, I'm Chris Sheevely, and I'm your host for For Your Information. I hope you'll join us each month as we delve into the wonderful world of animals. On For Your Information, we talk with local experts about the best way to care for our furry friends, 
Plus, some of our guests may even be available for adoption and looking for their forever home. So whether your passion is for dogs, cats, or whatever, I hope you will join me for the fun. That's for your information. Only on C19 TV and online at C19.TV. They're gonna put me in the movies. They're gonna make the big star. Hello, welcome back to Meet Me at the Movies. If you're just joining us, where the heck have you been? You should have been here because you missed a lot. Eric Marchant and I talking about films of 1991, the year that was, and, and celebrating some of the films that speak to us in one for one reason or another. Uh, Eric, um, good to have you with us, man. We're glad you're here, and thanks for your uh, your valued input uh, that you're bringing to us right here. Oh, I'm glad to be back. I'm really glad to be back. All right. So if you missed the first half of the show, we talked Point Break. We talked The Fisher King. We talked Terminator 2, Judgment Day, and also Dead Again. And so what's next on your list, Eric? Well, I think a film that has to be discussed uh, when talking about 1991 is the Best Picture winner, which also features one of the greatest villain performances of all time. And that is Thomas Harris's The Silence of the Lambs, which, uh, you know, Sir Anthony Hopkins won the Best Actor Oscar for about 20 minutes worth of screen time. Jodie Foster, uh, Jonathan, the late great Jonathan Demme for Best Picture. And it's a film that, you know, had already kind of had a version come out back in the 80s with Manhunter, directed by Michael Mann, you know, coming full circle with The Last of the Mohicans. Uh, but this version was released in February and for whatever reason, it just completely connected with audiences. And it was the film that everybody had to see and was horrified by. It sort of changed the perception of the genre that is horror, because obviously, you know, with a couple of sections um, like The Exorcist, there are very few in between that are considered to be quote unquote prestigious, you know, horror films. And Silence of the Lambs was that movie um, for, for a lot of people in that, that generation. Generation. And it kind of goes to show that a movie like that doesn't need to be released in December to be an awards contender. And obviously also, you know, thinking about what that film could have been if it was directed and starred Gene Hackman and Michelle Pfeiffer and not, you know, directed by Jonathan Demme. Yeah, it, it, I remember watching it February 14th, Valentine's Day, <laughs> 1991. I watched this movie and... Uh, it was hard to believe that a year later it, it got Best Picture. And, you know, now when we look at award season, there are some films that, that will be released to select audiences in, you know, November, December, but maybe not even a wide audience until February. But the thing about this film, Silence of the Lambs, everybody got a chance to see this one. Everybody, you know, you had every chance in the world to watch this. Uh, what a great film on so many different levels. And, uh, and, you know, years later, uh, we're still talking about aspects of what these characters created, all the way from Claire Reese, who we had a, a TV series that was created from that, and then Hannibal, uh, the TV series Hannibal. I don't know that those things would have happened, and we had several spinoffs uh, with Hannibal as well, Hannibal Lecter films, but I don't think that those things would have happened had it not been for this particular movie because it changed the landscape and it gave people expectations for what those characters were. And so you look at what Anthony Hopkins set up, it was completely different, but it set a standard, it set a standard. 
Oh, absolutely. And and again, going back to the importance of it, uh, you can see, you know, uh, people being influenced by it in other movies like Denny Villeneuve's Sicario. And even more recently with, with Mayor of Easttown, there's a scene that's very much, you know, uh, a side-by-side -side comparison uh, in the final act of Silence of the Lambs. So yes, the, the influence on that of that movie is so important uh, it's going on 30 years now. So Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to segue, uh, but it, it's, a, it's a close companion in a different way you know with, with Hannibal uh, he had some issues and, uh, and and he spoke to some psychiatrists and, and folks about some issues uh, as did uh, Bill Murray's character in, in a film with Richard Dreyfuss called What About Bob that was released in May 17th on May 17th 1991 to me this is one of those lost comedies that I think everybody should see at some point in their life because we've all probably at some point in our life bumped into a, a friend that really thinks that he has nothing figured out yet. He probably has more figured out than, than he thinks. And he always thinks that there's something wrong. There's something wrong and, and he needs help along the way. Well, we discover that sometimes um, that, that help that you seek ends up causing other people to need more help than, than you. So what about Bob? Just a great comedy directed by Frank Oz, uh, Richard Dreyfuss, as I mentioned in this, uh, Bill Murray, and uh, just a, a fun, fun movie. Julie Haggerty uh, was a, was a co-star uh, in this as well. And it's just one of those movies that um, I go back to. I keep talking about that, but there are times I go back to certain films for certain reasons. And, and this is a film that uh, can disturb you because of certain characters, uh, just like Silence of the Lambs, but in a comical way. My wife uh, can only watch What About Bob for about an hour, and then she says, I, I got to walk away. I got to walk away. He's driving me crazy. I'm like, yeah, but at least you're not Richard Dreyfuss' character. So, right. so there you go. <laughs> exactly. And this is Bill Murray still kind of in, you know, that, that comedic routine before kind of being introduced to Wes Anderson at the end of the 90s. So you're kind of getting him playing, you know, a full on comedic spectrum of, you know, his strengths. And obviously he also had Quick Change come up uh, the, the year before. So it's one of those movies where I think that maybe time hasn't been as kind to it, but I think that those two performances are a lot of fun and it is kind of always a delight to watch somebody who's a more elitist stuck up character uh, sort of go in a downward spiral and, and get fed up with somebody else and kind of get a taste of their own medicine. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but it's, uh, it's worth a watch. Uh, if you've never seen it, uh, the movie is called what about Bob? All right, man, what else is on your list? I, you know what, I, I've got to go with an important collaboration. This is one that, you know, a lot of people will find divisive, but I think Barton Fink is a film that is very much worth talking about because this is the first collaboration between the Coen brothers and Roger Deakins. You know, uh, the Coen brothers had been sort of on the indie scene with Blood Simple and working with cinematographer Barry Sonfeld for that period. And then, you know, like with Raising Arizona and Miller's Crossing kind of created a language with the camera that had not been sort of 
appreciated uh, in the world of cinematography. And so for them to go and work with, uh, you know, a new cinematographer in the early 90s, because Barry Sonfeld went on to do, uh, to become a director in his own right with the Adams Family movies and Men in Black and things like that. So Roger Deakins comes in and again, helps to kind of contextually recreate the Coen brothers' career. You know, this is a story about a frustrated writer in the 1940s going from New York to LA and trying to write a screenplay for a wrestling picture. Uh, Barton Fink, the titular character played by John Turturro, um, and sort of his downward spiral uh, into the, uh, you know, insanity that is Hollywood. And I always think about the hot sort of heat wave that comes in, in in one sequence and John Goodman's character kind of being the bumbling salesman that is always having conversations with Totoro and Totoro sort of trying to quote unquote be the uh, writer or the voice of the everyman, but never actually listening to anybody, uh, which I find amazing. And then again, you know, going to the apartment and seeing the wallpaper melting off the walls. It's so fascinating to watch and I think when you watch it two or three times like many Coen Brothers movies you get so much more out of it oh yeah yeah and the Coens I, I think with any of their films you nailed it the more you watch them the more you can appreciate them and the more you can see the subtle writing that is so impactful and it is is so meticulous and, and there are times you miss it when you're watching one of their films the first time so yeah always worth uh, always worth a second, third, or fourth visit with, with a Coen Brothers film. Uh, well, well, the next film I'm going to talk about, Eric, is not a Coen Brothers film. Uh, it is uh, one that, that stars a guy who was on fire in the 80s. Uh, it was a, a talent who um, had, had come off doing things like Back to the Future, had been in Family Ties, and had a lot of success, Michael J. Fox. And here he is going into the 90s still playing in some ways, in many ways, that same type of character because it's working for him. Doc Hollywood was a film that I absolutely loved, uh, not just because it took place in uh, South Carolina, which is just uh, you know a few miles away from here, but I loved the story of the, the fish out of water story to me really, really worked. And Michael J. Fox uh, always tends to play those fish out of water characters with a way that doesn't feel like it's the same thing. And you know, I look at Adam Sandler and I love Adam Sandler, but so many of his fish out of water films feel like it's the same thing. But with Michael J. Fox, not so much. And you know, this, this you know, hot shot guy trying to be a doctor who wrecks a car and gets stuck in this town and uh, ends up having to work off some debt because of the car to treat people in North Carolina or South Carolina, you know, he, there's a change in character and there's this character arc that I loved, even though it was predictable, it just really worked. And so much of that goes to, to Michael J. Fox. And you look at the cast of characters uh, that, that show up in this film uh, as well. Um, you've, you've got Woody Harrelson, David Ockenstiers, Bridget Fonda uh, also in this, uh, a film that I recommend going back to. It was released in August 2nd, uh, 1991, but Doc Hollywood. And if you've seen the movie Cars, Cars is pretty much a carbon copy, except it's animated with cars talking as Doc Hollywood. Right. And Paul Newman's uh, car character yes. is Doc, yes, right? Yes, that's Doc right. Hudson, right. That's so. exactly right. That's exactly right. So that's on, that's on my list. And uh, Doc Hollywood, uh, one worth checking out. Well, we don't have time to, to dive in deep 
to any others. We are out of time right here on Meet Me the Movies, but is there another film or two you just want to mention that needs to be talked about? Yeah, I think think Boys in the Hood, John Singleton's film, uh, it's important because it kind of ushers in... um, you know, the independent spirit and independent filmmaking of the 90s. And it doesn't get a lot of credit compared to something like Pulp Fiction um, and, you know, Do the Right Thing and Sex, Lies and Videotapes. And it's also a movie that um, shamefully was, you know, the 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 first best uh, for, for best director. John Singleton was the first African-American director to be nominated ever. And it was like, well, about time. Right. And then on top of that, you have, you know, a movie that kind of speaks to a generation um, that in a way that I feel is so important. And again, you know, it's of the time, but it's still just as important as it was 30 years ago. So I think that that's a movie that people need to check out. Absolutely. And I, I'm going to recommend the best remake of 1991 Cape Fear that uh, if you have not seen that and you want to see some uh, some crazy acting uh, and also uh, another uh, Carolina connection check out Cape Fear uh, with uh, with Nolte De Niro and, and who else in this film well you have John uh, Don Baker and and it's an amazing cast but also I mean it's directed by Martin Scorsese and this yes. is Scorsese having a ball with the neo-noir and you know this was going to be a Spielberg film and yeah. I don't think it could have been yeah I agree Cape Fear uh, well worth checking out Eric Marchin thank you so much man appreciate your time uh, spending us spinning with us right here on Meet Me at the Movies uh, we are out of time and I always like to leave with a movie quote if I can this does come from uh, What About Bob And uh, let me just say that there are two types of people in the world, those who like Neil Diamond and those who don't. So until next time, I am Noel Manning for Eric Marchand, and we appreciate you spending time with us right here on Meet Me at the Movies as we uh, celebrate the year that was 1991. Till next time, that's a wrap.